You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to episode 116 of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. On this episode, we're sitting down with Jared Graybeal. Jared's mission is to encourage, educate, and empower others to live happier, healthier lives. He's an NASM certified personal trainer, fitness nutrition specialist, behavioral change specialist, CrossFit level two trainer, and corrective exercise specialist with an education in marketing and psychology from the University of North Florida. Jared owns and operates Superfit Foods, a healthy subscription-based, fully customizable meal prep company, and also owns E3, a business consulting and marketing agency. He's done a few cool things, like exhibiting Superfit Foods at Forbes Under 30 and giving a TEDx talk on nutrition and mental health. And every day, he gets to work hard at doing what he loves. Jared's passion for healthy eating led to him founding a company devoted to helping people enjoy eating healthier. On this episode, Jared is going to share some personal experiences that have motivated him, as well as some tips and hacks for helping you to prevent mental burnout. Jared also authored the book, The Self-Help Book, Six Practical Ways to Never Stop Growing, which you can find on Amazon. Of course, you can check out the link in the show notes directly to the book and to Jared's other websites. Don't forget that you can check this episode out on the Self-Made Strategies YouTube channel, and certainly don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to or enjoy the Self-Made Strategies podcast. Here are the Self-Made Strategies of Jared Graybeal. What's up, man? How's it going? Great. How are you? Yeah, great, great. Good to meet you. Good to meet you as well. Well, I listened to your TEDx talk. I thought it was pretty cool, the story about your mom having the stroke and then all the uh, the discoveries that you made about nutrition and its effects on mental health were really interesting. Looking forward to talking about that in part on this podcast episode, but also certainly about your two companies and uh, your book on Amazon, which is super cool. I'm, I'm interested to know how you came up with all that. Awesome. Thank you, man. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. So let's start from the beginning. Is, is it best to look at the incident with your mom having a stroke and being in the hospital and how that affected you? You can honestly take it any direction you want. I can bring it back to wherever you decide to go. So it's entirely up to you, man. I don't have a preference. All right, cool. Sounds good. All right. So yeah, let's start about how this all came together. I mean, you've written this book about focusing on growth and best practices to help yourself come stay focused on growth, of course, but primarily focused on growth while at the same time avoiding mental burnout, which right now I think is a great thing to be talking about because a lot of people, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, just being stuck indoors a lot more, partial quarantines, uncertainty about going outside and being able to interact with other people are going through these cycles of sort of highs and lows and then hitting plateaus in terms of mental burnout. So Let's start with that. How did you come up with the idea for the self-help book? Um, So basically, I was inspired about three years ago to lead a group at a church that I used to attend. Um, And the pastor at the time wanted me to to start a group around biblical leadership and entrepreneurship. And I started teaching something called Taming the Lion, which is a four-part series. And I decided I wanted to write a book called Taming the Lion. The problem was I'm I would never consider myself to be a high level writer. Um, I got average grades throughout like English class and literature and high school and college. And so that just became like a, 
a self-fulfilling prophecy of thinking that I'm not a good writer. So with that being said, I, I spent like a year on and off trying to write this book. And I guess you could say I got writer's block. However, one of my good friends a long time ago inspired me to start writing blogs, which is much less of a responsibility than like writing a book, right? Um, and you don't have to think that you're a great writer to write a blog, you know, 300 words or 500 words or a thousand words. And so I started writing this blog just because I have a regular cadence of writing one every month or two. Um, and it was called five ways to never stop growing. And I wrote this blog. It ended up being, I don't remember like 8,000 words or something, which is way longer than my normal blog. Um, and normally what I do is I'll write a blog and I'll record it onto my podcast and it's like 10, 15 minutes. This would have been like, 45 minutes, way too long for my typical structure. And I thought about it. It was what I thought to be a great blog, but it was way too long. And I thought, you know, I left a lot out. I could revisit this teaching, expand on it, maybe two, three times longer and publish it as a book to get some experience publishing a book. So that way I could revisit the original idea. And that's what I did. And so it was a lot easier to tackle the idea of writing a book whenever you already sort of created the manuscript as a blog format, way less of a commitment. And so that's what I did. And I just revisited each thing and I created an intro and, and an outro or whatever, a conclusion and um, pursued a publishing agency and, and did the, all the steps to, to get where we are now. Yeah, that's really cool. And so how did you overcome sort of that initial imposter syndrome to begin with? Because you hit writer's block, you're already convincing yourself going into it that you're not really a great writer. And I know that the the blog helps and in part, the podcast has been the same for me, right? I, I kind of wanted to develop more content for myself. Now I'm an attorney full-time. That's sort of my full-time, th that is my full-time gig. And so writing was, more writing was not what I wanted. <laughs> so, so I thought to myself, you know, how, do, how can I get more content out? And obviously you could do, you know, uh, Instagram or LinkedIn stories or, you know, record yourself and post those videos as a sort of vlog series instead or something along those lines, develop a YouTube channel. There are multiple avenues and the blog was that for you. But in your story there, you talk about how that first year you hit a lot of writer's block. How did you overcome that and get yourself back on track? I think it's just all about getting the reps in. I'm not a person that thinks I'm particularly great at a lot of things, but I do aspire to be. And so I know the, the practical approach to that is just to keep trying. Um, and the best way for me is, is to keep, for example, if I wanted to write a book, I need to write a bunch of blogs. Um, because if I can't think through finishing this big, hairy, audacious goal, I can at least commit to a 500 word blog from time to time. And honestly, for me, what helps me, because I never thought myself and I still don't really consider myself to be a great writer, but I know that I'm a relatively good teacher and speaker. And so a lot of times when I'm inspired to speak on something, naturally, I'm like, well, I have to put an outline together so I could speak on this topic and it ends up being a blog. And so I sort of reverse engineer that thought process of like, well, I know that I'm pretty good at speaking and teaching, but in order to get there, I need to write an outline. Let me write an outline for a teaching. And then that thought process becomes way easier than like, I need to write a blog this month. What should I write on? It's really more or less, what do I want to teach on? And then how do I write an outline for that and then fill it in with, you know, the, the content necessary. So for me, that's it. I just find a hack on like, how can I, cause I don't particularly like writing. Um, but I love the outcome. I love to teach. I love to encourage, educate and empower others to live happier, healthier lives. And so in order to do that, you need, you need content. Um, it's the key. So that's, that's how I approach it. 
Yeah, and I like the way that you put that, that you you know that that's sort of a weakness for you, but you do like the the dopamine that you get from the end result. So you kind of reverse engineered to how to make it work for yourself and that you like to talk. And that got me to thinking when you were talking just now that in a lot of ways, that's also another thing that you could do certainly is just record yourself with your phone, for example, and then take that recording and sort of transcribe it and clean it up. And that's already done some of the writing for you. Really, really cool. Interesting. So without giving away your secret sauce, because we do want people to go check out your book on Amazon, obviously, that's part of the reason that uh, that you published to begin with, of course. But sort of at a high level, without giving away the secret sauce, what can people expect from the book and what types of best practices are you providing people with? Yeah, so the book has been described by multiple people that have left reviews and stuff, um, that it's basically a to-do list on how to be a better person. And that's perfect for me. And now being a quote unquote better person is totally relative. But again, like in the broad general sense of the phrase, that's what I wanted it to be. Um, The book's title is The Self-Help Book, Six Practical Ways to Never Stop Growing. I'm an extremely practical person, almost to a fault. So this book will give you um, a lot of thought provoking questions, but then it'll give you practical approaches to overcoming some of the obstacles in your life. And of course, the six things are confidence, competence, clarity, commitment, connections, and character, right? And so I believe that in every season or chapter or page of the book of life that you're living in, you can grow in one of these areas, if not more, if not all, right? Now, committing to growing in all of them is, a, again, another big, hairy, audacious goal, maybe too big of a task to try to conquer right away. But even for me, since I wrote the book, I've picked it back up three or four times and I've read through a specific chapter, right? If I'm going to be traveling, I'm going to revisit the connections chapter and brush up on my skills with meeting people and all the creative ways to do that. If I'm having a hard time at work and I think maybe my leadership ability is is weak, I'm going to revisit the character thing and say, is it me or is it my team, right? And so the book has all these steps um, and these different approaches based off of tried and true principles, psychology, and then my personal experience. Um, and again, it's like, it's less than a hundred pages. You could sit down and read it in two hours because I wanted it to be a tool and not another task. Yeah, that's smart. And making it accessible in that way does make it more that way that you can kind of go back to it as sort of a reference material rather than something that you read and then maybe never come back to because it's too big. Yeah, that's a great idea. So Let's talk about the writing the book process because you decided to to create this. You worked with a publishing company. You're welcome to shout them out if you want to. And uh, so walk us through that process, how that was, especially for someone who doesn't love writing, but you have all this content from your blog. How did you then take that content? What was the actual practical process of developing the book? Yeah. So I knew that once I was done with the manuscript, um, I'd have to get it published. And I didn't want to just I have a couple of friends that self-published on Amazon and nobody bought their book. And I didn't write a book for nobody to buy it. Um, now, it's not really the money that I'm concerned about, but if I put content out that I think is going to make the world a better place, if people read it, then I need to reach people. And so um, I knew I needed to pursue and invest in the opportunity and the, the work behind publishing it with a quality publishing agent. And so... I honestly, my thing was don't look that up until I finish the book, right? Because I have a tendency to get the cart ahead of the horse. And I think a lot of people do too. They get caught up in the publishing process before they finish writing. And it's like, that's 
it's counterintuitive. So I finished the manuscript and basically got on Google and how to publish a book. I read all the blogs, how to self-publish. Of course, if you're a celebrity, you can reach out to Schuster and whatever, or Penguin Random House. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm somewhere in between there, right? I don't want to self-publish on Amazon, but I am not a celebrity. What do people like me do? And so I had to kind of go down the Google rabbit hole, um, which I even mentioned this to a couple of the the companies that I talked to that they need to work on SEO a little bit better because I typed in publishing agent help, you know, like very basic stuff. Um, but long story short, um, I decided to go with a company called Scribe which the best way I can explain Scribe is like a pseudo publishing agency. They basically do all the work to help you self-publish. Now I established like a publishing agency under my consulting company called E3. Um, but they helped me do the work, the marketing behind it, getting on, you know, re- outreach to podcasts. And of course they, they walked me through like a three-part editing process of the manuscript. So all the same things that a publisher, you know, a big time publishing agency would do, they did it with me and for me um, as a service. And then of course they've helped me launch the book. They helped me with the design of my book cover, the inside, right? So like a ton of, it was really, really helpful. And I highly recommend it for anybody that, that is willing to invest in, in putting out a quality book because that's what I think it is. Um, so that's what the process was like for me. It was, it was actually harder to publish the book than to write the book. That's funny. And so now that it is out, you're enjoying sort of the, the, kind of kick back and do some press for the book and scribe is helping you with all of that as well. Absolutely. And of course I'm, I'm a marketer, um, by nature. And so obviously it's like, they're meeting me in the middle. They're helping connect me with certain audiences and, um, and they're offering a lot of advice to me on how the process works. And then of course I'm leveraging my, um, small following on the back end to, to promote it as well. Awesome. All right. So let's shift towards your TEDx talk, which I thought was really interesting. I do recommend that people go check it out. I'll drop a link to the TEDx talk in the show notes for this, whether they're watch, whether the people listening are watching on YouTube or listening to the audio version of this. In your TEDx talk, you talk about how you came to the realization that food and nutrition in general, what we ingest is really important to our mental health. And you learned that because your mom had a, a sudden stroke and you were sort of hit with this recovery period that she had to go through, obviously. So why don't you tell us about that journey and experience? Yeah. So um, full disclosure, TEDx is an independently organized event. And so if you watch the video, it wasn't, uh, we had no, whatever you call it, uh, where you get to read off of the prompt. Oh, no teleprompter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You had to memorize your freaking five (laughs) Um, It was very challenging. However, uh, still a great opportunity. And I really appreciate Jerry for reaching out to me for that opportunity. But um, yeah, I mean, that was a wild year. That was 2015. And that was about six months after I had started my uh, company, which is a healthy food company, ironically. Um, but I had learned firsthand from transitioning into the bodybuilding world at about 21 years old, how powerful and impactful that eating healthy can have on your body, but and on your mind and your mental health. I went from eating a regular average gym bro diet, bunch of protein, whatever I wanted at 20 years old to a really strict um, bodybuilding diet. And it gave me so much clarity, better sleep, better mental health, a ton of stuff. Right. So I recognized that early on. And then, you know, fast forward four years later, I start a healthy food company. Fast forward six months later, my mom has a massive hemorrhagic stroke. And um, my primary concern obviously was for her survival. 
but it was for her care. And I knew the, how badly fast food, saturated fats, um, processed foods, how badly our body and our brain responds to those things. I think it could be argued that a significant amount of the non-clinical levels of anxiety and depression in the country alone is a product of our diets. And so my mom, enduring that stroke, obviously for a period of time, she was in a coma um, and then she was in a vegetated state. But the moment she was able to start taking in fluids, you know, um, you could see an immediate response in recovery from that. Uh, now, the recovery was a long road, but I spent, you know, time with her almost every day in the hospital pushing these doctors because at the end of the day, these doctors are great. The nurses are great, but she's another patient, but she was my mom. And so for me as a nutrition expert and her son, I was pushing the doctors to do more nutrition tests, right? To see if she can swallow, there's swallow tests, there's chew tests and stuff. Even if she's in a vegetated state, of course, they had her on a, an IV fluid diet for a period of time. But um, I basically pushed for that. Otherwise, they would wait another week, another month to do another chew test or swallow test. And so as we were able to get her more, like, for example, instead of the fluid IV, give her soft foods, again, an immediate response to that. Um, and the doctor said that she wasn't going to survive, let alone, I mean, my mom calls and texts me almost every day now. And so just one, I think God takes a huge role in the miracle that took place in my mom's body and her mind, but nutrition, I mean, it's, it's a gift from God for us to leverage and most people don't. And so watching it radically improve my mom's recovery. And then of course, all the studies that i began to do more thoroughly instead of about my aesthetics and like my personal life, my mom's in this predicament. So I'm studying all the things that can contribute to recovery and what she was dealing with, even though it was a stroke, it was in her brain. So we're talking about mental health. Right. Um, and so it's just a radical response to getting the body and the brain, the right nutrients. Um, and then everything I learned through those studies was obviously something I got to speak on at TEDx, which was a fascinating opportunity for me. So looking at that from a high level, what are the sort of best practices that you can give people who are listening to this? Let's say, you know, to some obvious degree, I think cutting out processed foods, not eating junk foods and eating whole foods is always better. Whole foods as in whole foods, not the market, not the, uh, not, not the supermarket. Uh, but eating more healthful foods, eating foods that have gone through less processing, eating organics, stuff like that tend to be better. But what are your high level sort of best practices that you could tell anybody they need to start doing? Yeah, a couple things. Um, you know, the most, the simplest, but probably most challenging approach is really what you mentioned, cut out the majority of processed foods and fast foods from your diet. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect and go cold turkey and cut it all out because in the world we live in, that, that's, I wouldn't say it's impossible. It's just very complicated and difficult. But to the extent that you can control it, get rid of all the processed foods and fast foods from your daily diet. That will radically change not only your body, but your mental and your physical health. It will give you better sleep. It will save you money. It will give you more time. It will make you more agreeable. You'll be better at relationships. There's so much response to when we give our body and our mind the right products. Um, so with that being said, again, it's simple, but probably really challenging. And I understand that. I teach on these couple practical steps to eating healthy. Number one, get rid of all the crap in your pantry. Like if you're listening to this show and you're like, you know what? I want to try eating healthier, at least making a shift in my diet. 
You got to get rid of the stuff that's in your pantry and you got to stop buying it because out of sight, out of mind, even me as a nutrition expert, a fitness guy, if I have cookies in my pantry, when I'm going to grab a protein bar or something, immediately I'm going to be like, I can afford a cookie. I'm going to eat a cookie, you know? So I'm like everybody else. It's temptation. It's right there. But if you get rid of it out of sight, out of mind. So number one, get rid of the pantry stuff. Number two, don't go shopping hungry. We make a lot of bad decisions when we're hungry. Not only in in the grocery store, there's even a ton of Amazon purchases that can be linked to people being hungry. There's a ton of bad things that we say to our friends, our family, our spouse, whenever we're hungry, right? We would call it hangry, but there's scientific evidence that when your your blood sugar is low, you make bad decisions, right? So going to the grocery store is just another example of that. You're going to end up filling your pantry back up with the cookies or whatever. Um, another thing, you know, a lot of dietitians these days, like especially the younger millennial Gen Z dietitians hate diets, but at the core of it, a diet is simply what you eat, right? So we're either having a good diet or a bad diet and people like structure. So if you are one of those people that crave structure, choose a diet, but know the fact that you're not going to be perfect and find a diet that actually works for you. And here's an example, the paleo diet, the paleo diet is animal proteins, the vegetables and sweet potatoes, basically, and fruit, right? It's assumed that during the Paleolithic era, that's all the cavemen ate. Now, if you hate sweet potatoes, the paleo diet is not going to work for you because that's the only carbohydrate, the only starch you really get to eat, right? So immediately wipe that off the table, but find one that works for you. The ketogenic diet is almost zero carbohydrates. If you absolutely love carbohydrates, or if on Fridays and Saturday nights, you have to have a glass of wine, keto is not going to work for you, right? So find a diet if you crave structure, but find one that actually will work for you long-term and commit to it. My biggest recommendation for like a diet lifestyle is living the 70-30 life. And this basically states that if you eat 21 times a week, which is an average of three times a day, you can have 15 healthy meals and about six, we can call them unhealthy meals. We can call them cheat meals, but some people don't like that anymore. We can call them treat meals, whatever you want to call it. You get an opportunity to eat six times whatever you want. Don't go crazy, but whatever you want. And then 15 times eat healthy. Now, if you're allowed to eat six unhealthy meals, that's a lot, right? But you have to commit to 15. Now, if you eat 70, 30 healthy long-term, you will be in good. You won't be in peak physical shape, but you'll be in good shape. You'll have a balanced, probably mental health state. And it's something that you can manage for a long period of time. Those are just a few of my recommendations. Yeah, that's great advice. I like the uh, six treat meals or whatever you want to call them, like you said, but try to spread those out, right? Don't eat all six in a row, yeah. two days in a row, probably not great. So maybe try to spread those out throughout your week. And I think often, um, interestingly for me, I'll, I'll share a story that I, I've never shared on this podcast. When I was a kid, I would eat McDonald's six at least six days out of the week, one meal, right? At least. Um, not the healthiest diet, certainly, and uh, no offense to McDonald's or anyone who loves McDonald's, but it got to the point where as I grew up, you know, those unhealthy habits started to catch up. Now, when I was older in, in sort of my late teens, early 20s, I finally decided, you know, this isn't going to work out long term. I should probably change this and kind of cut it cold turkey. Believe it or not, I went through an actual form of withdrawals because I was so used to eating it 
that I would see a McDonald's billboard or something and I would literally salivate. And so, um, so I eventually cut it out and kind of went through withdrawals and had those sort of hangry symptoms for a little while. But then once you get over that hurdle of about three to four weeks of developing that habit of healthy eating, it just went away. I no longer wanted it, you know? And uh, I actually also, I, I smoked cigarettes when I was younger as well. And same thing. I was fortunate enough that I quit at cold turkey, took a little bit of a struggle to get over it completely. But, uh, but finally, now today, for example, I have no, no yearning to, uh, to have any cigarettes. So it is developing healthy habits and kind of working your way incrementally, as you said, back to it's a, challenge. a healthful like, lifestyle. I don't know that saturated fats have been proven to be like, I don't know that processed food or anything is proven to be addictive, but sugars are. Yeah. And of course, nicotine is. And as a kid, I smoked cigarettes and I drank a ton of soda. And so I know exactly how you feel because it, I think at 19 is when I really committed to being a personal trainer. And I knew that I had to cut out those habits because who wants a trainer that drinks 88 ounces of Coca-Cola or Mountain Dew a day? Because I would just go to the store and get like a, a 44. We just grew up on soda. Oh, yeah. I, I would go through a two liter of Mountain Dew for sure a day yeah. easily. Yeah. Um, and then I would smoke a pack a day from the time I was like 13 to 19. And so... I mean, I grew up in a totally different lifestyle than most people probably can imagine. And so like quitting both of those was extremely challenging. And we create wires and we circuitry in our brain that, like you said, you drive by McDonald's and you salivate, just like when you ring a bell and a dog salivates, because that's normally it eats afterwards. People don't like to think this, but we are very much like animals because we are animals. We just have the ability to reason. And so with that being said, changing your habits is extremely difficult if it's been embedded for a long period of time, but you've got to forget the past and move forward, right? You can't say, oh, my parents fed me fast food my whole life. I'll never change. I hate my parents. Like that was the lifestyle you lived and you have to change it on your own because you're an adult. And so for me, like my parents drank soda. I drank a ton of soda. It was 89 cents for a 44 ounce at the Circle K down the street. You know what I mean? And so it was like, it was a dollar for a water. I'm going to get soda. Um, and so it's same with cigarettes. Right. And so like I had to rewire my brain, you had to rewire yours. And that takes reps, just like we talked about with the blog stuff, right? Like I didn't think I was a good writer, but I can write a bunch of small blogs and here we are. I'm talking about a book. The same thing goes for your weight loss journey or your career journey or your relationship journey. Like you got to get your reps in, you got to change old habits and it happens every single day in these small steps. Every time you drove by McDonald's and said no, you were rewiring your brain to say, I don't eat fast food every day. And eventually now it's the same thing with cigarettes, which is extremely hard. But if, you know, so it, it can be done and it, you just have to make a daily choice. Yeah, that's that's great. Great story and, and a great point. Now, what about you specifically? What's your 70-30 life? What's your cheat meal or treat meal or whatever you like to, to call it? That's sort of your guilty pleasure even now. Yeah, so I eat about four or five times a day. So I'm a little bit different than the average American. So I eat, we'll just say um, 30 times a week. And I'm not, I'm probably doing more or less 90-10 because those averages change. Um, but man, I'm a really basic, just white dude. Um, burgers, tacos, pizza, rinse and repeat kind of guy. Um, I do need to flex my, 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 my food muscles. And from time to time I'll go out you know, I like sushi, but it's like, 
it's just not as fun or great. Uh, tacos and pizza, I could eat every night. Yeah, for me, pizza um, pizza is like my kryptonite. You put up, I can crush. I'm a I'm a smaller guy, but I can crush a whole pizza on my own easily. Yeah, and that's <laughs> I mean, really, that's my guilty pleasure. Honestly, is like being like Friday night, Saturday night. I've busted my butt this week. I've trained really hard. Um, I'm ordering a pizza and I'm gonna watch Netflix and I'm just gonna veg out on my couch. Um, now, if I go out to eat, it's it might be steak or fish or something like that, ton of appetizers or something. But I'm a pretty basic guy. I don't have like a special craving for Indian food or anything like that, you know. But there are also I've found, and, and I think this is a good tip and good piece of advice for anyone who's wanting to make a shift. Going completely cold turkey is usually a recipe for failure for most people, right? So finding alternatives that are healthful that allow you to kind of mimic the things that you love. So you mentioned tacos and pizza, just as an example. So if you wanted to do, for example, taco night, you could do sort of uh, wrapless tacos, right? Like lettuce wraps, or you could do like a taco bowl where it's a bed of lettuce, some beans, some rice, you know, whole grain rice rather than white rice, some nice meat, whatever you prefer, maybe go with chicken rather than, than beef or something else that's a little bit higher in fat, go with a linear meat. You can find alternatives that'll mimic those same flavors. And I've found, I found, I love cooking personally, and that has made a huge shift in the way that my wife and I eat and, and sort of pushed us towards a more healthful lifestyle. Because when you cook at home, you can make a little bit more of those decisions. And I've also found that the more you cook with spice and experiment with spices, you can really add a good punch of flavor to food that might otherwise be bland and you can get pretty creative if you if you learn to cook and do things yourself. My wife and I do do taco night at least once a week. So I'm with you 100% yeah. on the tacos for sure. Yeah, I can I can literally eat different type of tacos every day. I have breakfast <laughs> tacos already. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, so uh, thanks so much for your time and and for being with us. What's the best way for people to reach out if they want to engage with you, hear more about sort of nutritional help? You obviously, as we mentioned in your intro, you have Superfit Foods, which helps provide people with fully customizable meal prep. So what, what can they expect if they're going to engage with Superfit Foods or order from you? And what's the best way to reach out? So I'm most active on Instagram personally. My Instagram handle is at Jared A-X-L Grabiel. Um, I have a personal website, jaredgrabiel.com and then superfitfoods.co if you're interested in checking out Superfit Foods. Um, and those are probably the best ways to reach me. Awesome. Jared, thanks very much, man. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me.